Hello everyone. Welcome once again to Spinistry Live. I am your race host Kevin Lee and we are just outside of May Pearl, Texas. A couple of our favorite signs, Load Zone Bridge, Road May Flood. Those are usually good indicators. In six and a quarter miles, turn right. Scouting what may or may not be a future route, uh, giving it a look-see, checking out some new stuff. I think there's a high likelihood as things that are showing as should be dirt roads might actually be paved. We'll find out. That is why we scout. Uh, joining me today, special guest, happy to have her along, uh, Jan Bennett. Hi. Yeah. Uh, asked her to tag along with me just so we could chat a little bit while I'm scouting. What have you been up to lately, Jan? What's new in your life? Uh, we are trying to sell our house. Trying to sell our house and move to uh, New Mexico. Yeah, trying to, I guess, fulfill that desire for a complete change of pace. Des describe how complete of a change of pace this is potentially going to be. What's your current house situation compared to what you're looking at? Uh, yeah, so we're, we live, you know, right pretty much in the heart of Dallas, right around White Rock Lake, which is, you know, pretty awesome if you're going to live in a major city to have something like White Rock Lake available and all the trails that kind of spur off of that, you know, it's, uh, for a cyclist, it's kind of heaven. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, my husband and I are both kind of to the point where we just, we want to get out, we want to have somewhere that we can just, I don't know, go explore out of our back door. So we've, um, we've located some property, has a house on it. Um, it's about 80 acres and the home is completely off grid. So solar power. Um, so I'm guessing this isn't Frisco or something like that. No, no, it is about the midway point between Santa Fe and Albuquerque off to the east of 25. It's actually a whole community of off-grid homes. It's kind of cool. So by off-grid, I mean this is like there's nothing, no infrastructure there to support you or uh, you, you have to do solar panels and uh, and wind power but uh, the, you know there's, there's sewer or what, 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 are you, what are we talking about off-grid? Um, so this is, there is ab absolutely no utilities available. Um, if you wanted to bring power in, you're probably talking about placing poles and it's probably about a three mile run to bring power in from the, the nearest available place. So, and you know, at $1,500 roughly a pole, that, that can be cost prohibitive um, but yeah we just we really wanted to go um, I guess self-sustained you know we spend roughly a month every year um, in our little RV heading out west uh, take some time and boondock and you know get get way back on some forest roads and whatnot and we just we found we, we really enjoyed it we really enjoyed that um, I guess constant sense of awe <laughs> okay. Um, so yeah, we will have, currently the house is 80% solar, powered 80% off of solar and 20% off of wind. 
um, which when you live in an area that gets 320 days of sun a year, kind of works that way. Um, let's see, we currently there's not a well on the property and there is no like uh, you know, city water or city plumbing. So it actually has a composting toilet, um, which I know a lot of people hear that and immediately, you know, all they picture like the nasty you know, toilets at national parks right. and whatnot. Right. But this right. is this is uh honestly if you maybe watch the, the Bill Gates special on uh, Netflix, it's one of the issues that he's tackling because a family of four would actually go through I think it's nine thousand gallons of water a year just to flush a toilet. And when you're talking about water scarcity becoming a reality, you know, this it's probably the the way things are gonna have to go. <laughs> Yeah, it's funny you bring that up. The uh, the composting toilet is one of the things I've gotten a little bit more familiar with the ins and outs of uh, making my own plans for exploration and adventures and, and so forth. And uh, for lack of a better term, there seems to be a lot of fear around composting toilets when everything I've found, it they make a lot of sense they do. and they I, quite frankly I think they're I think they're less nasty than dealing with a sewer hose at, at a dump station to be honest with you but oh yeah totally um, can you kind of because I know there's going to be people that are listening to this or watching <laughs> this that ha they have a alarm bells <laughs> yeah they, they have a basic misperception of what a composting toilet is and how it works and I this isn't anything we talked about ahead of time, but do you feel comfortable enough talking about composting toilets and go, do, doing a composting toilet 101 real quick? Um, that's about all I can do. I'm not an expert of no, by any that, means. I think 101 is all we need to go into. <laughs> all I've done is basically read the uh, maintenance manual for the toilet that's at this house. Hey, there's some Longhorns. Check that out. <laughs> so yeah, um, this, this composting toilet is designed to be used in a home. Um, it is designed, they make different models of it. Um, so this one is designed for a family of four to use with uh, throughout the year, maybe occasional increase in use. Say if you wanted to hold a, um, this is really pretty. This is really pretty. If you wanted to hold a uh, family reunion, let's say, or you know, just a group of friends out to stay on your property for a weekend, it can still handle that. Um, and it, you're not going to run into overflow and they don't stink. Um, you don't use water to flush it. It's just basically you sit on a toilet. It looks just like a toilet. The difference is it's just a pipe that goes down to this massive container. This thing is taller than I am. I'm 5'6". So, um, and it's divided into three compartments basically. And it, it's got a, a vent hose that vents out any fumes. Um, and basically it just composts waste. Yeah. And maybe once a week or so, depending on how often it's used, you go down, you turn this crank just to turn stuff, just like you would your compost pile for your garden. Um, and then once a year, you open the bottom door, which separates everything there's there's these like separations in there for the different stages of the compost and you just shovel it out and you can use it for fertilizer if you wanted to use it to fertilize your garden 
you'd need to give it an, one more year to compost. But if you wanted to fertilize your trees or whatever, you can do that. But at that point, this is, it's not like... It doesn't stink. Yeah, it's not like <laughs> digging around in a septic tank or anything no, like that, right? not at all. It's, it's, it's more like turning dirt? More like turning dirt. Okay. Just like turning your compost pile, you know? Um, Baby! It's a pretty dog. Uh-huh. <laughs> Owns this road. Yeah. So, yeah, it's... Uh, and, you know, you could pay someone to come out there and do all that. If you just did not want to deal with it. Okay. Now, when you say it's, uh, you know, it's like a six-foot tall container. Mm -hmm. So, is this dug into the ground, or is it up on a platform, or how, how does that functionality work on this particular model? So, on, I'll just use the house that we're hoping to buy, hoping to be able to live in. Um, they actually, the house is built on a hill. So, part of the home is on the hill itself, but then it, it goes out. And so where the bathroom is, is actually built up a level. So the composting part of the toilet is down below in the, I'm going to call it the utility room. It's got our okay. water pump for the house. It's got some charge controllers for solar. It's, um, you know, the, the on-demand water heater, like all that's in this one room. And you said there was an instruction manual, so I assume this is an off-the-shelf solution yeah. for a composting toilet it is and unfortunately i don't remember the, the brand name i think, I think phoenix that, maybe phoenix toilets i think it's pretty immaterial because it's, it's the concept we're talking about as much as anything uh it so is there is there any other filler or material that you add along the way scoop some kitty litter or pine mulch or anything like yeah, that yeah so you can use regular toilet paper um obviously that was a concern do i need to use you know, septic safe toilet paper. And when I messaged the company, they they told me, no, any toilet paper is fine. But then you do want to add in some, like you mentioned, some pine mulch, um, some wood chip, stuff like that. It helps with the composting process. Okay. Yeah, some organic material. Some sort of organic material. Okay. Hey, you know. Now, uh, and I, this, this may be outside your your realm of expertise just yet this early in the process uh, I've around the composting toilets I've heard uh, and maybe it's just on the camper and RV environments maybe it's different in a, mm. in a full-time one uh, but where there's solid waste versus liquid waste separators and diverters or the recommendation that you don't mix the two do you know anything about any of that very little um just enough i did just enough research to learn that that seems to be more geared towards the smaller um kind of rv style i thought yeah. i thought that i thought that might be the case because you know when i've looked at it from the, the theoretical aspect it the mixing doesn't seem to be an issue but i can see if it's a if it's a smaller contained environment in another contained environment. In a quarter mile, it turn may, right. Uh, be uh, a little more problematic short term along yeah. those lines. But from a permanent residential solution, my guess is there probably isn't an issue. Yeah, they that. actually do say that, you know, because the, the, 
I guess the first thought that my husband had was, well, great, that just means I get to pee outside all the time. <laughs> and when you read through the manual, it and actually says, no, you need, it needs, you know, a certain amount of liquid. To... Yeah, he's, he's, he's still going to pee outside. <laughs> he's still going to pee outside. Yeah. I guarantee you that. That's we'll a guy thing. We'll have to get thing. that lemon tree. <laughs> Uh-oh. Off course. I turned too soon. Find a spot to turn around here. Hopefully the next turn does find us a dirt road. That would be ideal. Okay, so power existing setup is mostly solar with some wind turbine augmentation. Yes. And I'm assuming since it's an established setup, that's perfectly sufficient for your so, for your needs, or do you think you might have to expand that? We may have to expand, um, mostly because we will both be working from home. Um, the family that lived here before actually lived there for 40 years, and they raised two kids out there on this property. Um, so we do plan to get a solar um, company out there and kind of do an inspection and just kind of give us some guidelines and educate us on Know, what what our needs will be and maybe if we will be okay with what we've got or if we're gonna need to eventually upgrade but for just getting out there it'll be perfect yeah what uh, are you familiar with this the current specs where you're at as far as total watts and amp hours on batteries and all that or is that let's see so there's 1300 watts of solar panels out there currently um, so whatever that calculates out to for wind power, 20% of that, 1300, 130, so what is that, 260, Okay. I guess. Um, so, turn right onto Baker's Branch Road. So many dings. Dings. Um, the batteries that are out there, uh, let's see, it says the main bank is six uh, two-volt batteries. And if I remember right, they're rated at, I think it was 1,200, what is it, 1,200 uh, amp hours at, right. it was something like 100, I'm trying to remember exactly what the specifications are. See, now you're getting yeah. into the, you're getting into the realm <laughs> that my, my, my mind just starts glazing over. It's just a bunch of numbers, it, right? It really, it really is. Yeah. So I, uh, we start getting into math like that, it's like, Here's my money. Put it together the yeah. way it needs. That's the way I am for stuff like that. Unfortunately, I would love to be more into it, but no, I totally get it. That's kind of the reason we saw this place and said, "Yeah, this will work." Our original idea was we'll buy land in a quarter mile, put an RV right. on it, and take our time building a home. But when we stumbled across this place, that was basically everything done, move-in ready. It needs work. You know, it's it's a, a home that people have lived in for 40 years, and they've done some work here and Coastal, there. But unpaved road. Yay! Yay! Turn right onto Dunway road. road. So, we wanted a, a house that we could have a few projects on, and that's this place. So, if we can get in there, and the solar provides us with enough to get by, then our plan is, of course, my husband's, you know, super into electrical stuff. So the plan is to kind of in one mile a, turn left. Here's a setup that works. Let's get in there and learn it instead of because there is there's like a billion options 
like what, what kind of battery setup do you do? What kind of solar panels do you do? You know, where, where are you gonna put this? Like in this house, there's two different battery banks, you know, for different ends of the home. Um, which actually makes sense. You don't have to run as much copper wire, you know? Oh, oh yeah, that does make sense. And then if one bank somehow goes down, you have a backup. So you're not just, I don't know, dead in the water. <laughs> well, speaking of water, okay, so we've touched on power. We've touched on the toilet. Uh, you said there is no well. Currently there is no well. Um, they raised a family of, well, there was a family of four, two kids. Um, on catchment so it's a, a larger home and it's an adobe style home for part of it it's actually built in three different uh, styles um, but it's got a pitched roof on it which is not something you find very frequently out in New Mexico um, but when you start looking at off-grid homes you see it a little more so there is enough rainfall uh, that in a quarter mile turn left the 5,000 gallon cistern that is on the property is what they use for their water supply. Now we did contact a hydrogeologist um, and they did a survey and pretty confident if we drill, we'll hit water. So that is kind of in the long-term plan out there. Okay. Slight left onto Great House Circle. It is one of those things that, you know, just kind of security. <laughs> Understandable. So, uh, the 5,000 gallon cistern, I have no frame of reference on this. Uh, how, 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 let's say that's full and you don't get any more water. How long should that last for, let's, let's just say you and your husband. Is that something that'll last mile, turn right. three weeks, three months, three years? We're really not sure at this point. Um, there are three 500-gallon cisterns at other catchment points around the house as well. So there is a total of 6,500 gallons available. Um, but yeah, we're really not sure. It's, it's kind of one of those, I don't know, it's hard to predict because you, you could look at your water bill, right, at right. home and say, right. oh, well, this is how much I use. Well, we're not going to have to flush a toilet. Not going to have to flush a toilet. <laughs> right. Uh, not going to have to In water your lawn if you are right. now at all. Yeah, no no lawn watering. Um, and then it's kind of one of those, okay, so maybe we don't just let the sink run the whole time that we're washing dishes. Right. Right. So it's kind of hard to judge. But there are companies out there that come deliver water. They just fill up a huge truck and they just make the rounds out there right, and right. deliver water people so yeah which probably ultimately is probably probably not much more or maybe Turn even right less on the great house road the cumulative city water bill for the same amount of right because you're not going to have sewage associated with it and whatever and uh trash service what's your what's your garbage service yeah so there is no garbage service so we will um probably build an incinerator we do plan to you like you like to make fires fire, fire. yeah <laughs> absolutely <laughs> but you know I'm, I'm researching ideas on you know I don't want to just do a burn barrel burn barrel like they last for a while they rust out of course we're in the desert so rust may not be as much of an issue necessarily but 
Um, it just doesn't seem like it's a long-term solution. And, I don't know, I'd, I'd prefer to maybe try to figure out a solution that contains um, smoke and actually burns very hot. Some of the burn barrels just can't get that hot unless you, like, cut a hole in it and put a weed blower, uh, a, a leaf blower some, in some there. Some kind of bellows. <laughs> yep. So. Then you can start smelting. Exactly. We have, we have a friend that might, in a quarter mile might have some left. ideas on how to get some really hot hot fire going in a small space. I mean, <laughs> realistically, big fires and just peeing out in the open, you'll get all sorts <laughs> of people coming by to hang out. True. Alright. Alright, so covered water, covered electricity. Turn left onto Dawson Road. Covered waste management. Uh, internet. What's that like out there in the, in the boonies? Yeah, so in this particular instance, of course, satellite, you know, is an option. Um, it's rather expensive to get the speed that you would need for someone that works from home that has to do video conferencing and stuff like that. Um, In one and a half miles, turn left. So we think there may have been someone out there who uh, needed a very fast internet connection. So there's a T3 that's been piped out there and it's actually a co-op um, run by volunteers that live in the area um, and it's radio internet and so for the same service that I get at home in Dallas 100 meg service I can get out there via radio okay and it's 50 to 60 bucks a month oh wow yep <laughs> so that was one of the primary concerns obviously since both are going to be working from home um, my my understanding, which is extremely limited and I could be completely off base, my understanding of the radio internet is it's line of sight. Yes. Okay. So that means definitely you would have to have an unobstructed shot at whatever the transmitter is. Yes. Are you, is this, is this mountainous area where you're at, force, or is it wide open high desert, or what? It's, there is a lot of elevation change. Um, we will be at 6,000 feet, 5,800 feet, um, but it is high desert. So there is, um, there are enough homes out there that basically you, when you sign up, you agree to have your um, antenna, uh, your, part of the agreement is that you will have a repeater on your property. Okay. As part of your, uh, service that makes sense. So we uh, there is already an antenna out there. The previous owners had internet going, um, and you can follow the line of sight. And maybe I don't know a few miles away, you can barely see a, a home out there. So we're guessing that's what it's pointed to. Wow. Oh, okay. It's another home that has has service as well. So, so help me out on that. So your repeater. Is it an omnidirectional transmitter, or does it only transmit in that? I don't in know. In a quarter yet. mile. Okay. Turn left. Yeah. Because somewhere along the way, it has to be omnidirectional, right? Or you just have everybody in a line getting sick. Yeah, I'm. I'm not well I get, versed. I get. No, I get. I get. I get. I get it. I get it. I am not either. But yeah. Now I'm curious. I know, right? Turn left onto Higgins Road. Somebody will comment and fill us in and tell me how stupid I am. 
Well, I, I hope they don't tell you how stupid you are, but I hope someone tells us. <laughs> I hope someone lets us know that you know this is how it works. And I don't know, maybe here's a, a great reference link. <laughs> Haven't had the first dirt road yet. Know, Still is... good riding though, but yeah. That's why we scout. That's why we scout. Could still be in one worth and a quarter miles. Turn right. A backup all-weather route. Oh yeah. That's uh, that's actually one of the things I am looking at this route for. Is um, in March we're going to be doing. Such a, this is a cool bridge. Mm-hmm. That's a cool creek too. Kind of looks like some of the White Rock. Yeah. Creeks down by the lake. In March we're doing. Um, International Grand Prix of Gravel on the Dallas River levees. Um, it's in conjunction with the North American Handmade Bicycle Show, so it's, it's you know there's going to be a lot of people from out of town that are there, and uh, some of the manufacturers are going to want to like do a manufacturer's ride and things like that. But it's a very tight schedule, and it's not like if there's a if the if the uh, levees are flooded, it's not like oh hey we'll make it up next week or a month down the road. Right. So I want to have uh, some sort of backup that's not horribly far from Dallas. How far would you guess May Pearl? Well, let's let's. You went directly to Venus. How far do you think Venus would be from downtown Dallas on a Saturday morning, roughly? Thirty minutes. Okay. Yeah, it it took me roughly forty-five minutes from east of White Rock Lake. Okay. So I am still kind of leaning towards this to just in case the Trinity River's up and the levees are flooded, we we'll have something available as a back. I mean, obviously we could always lean on our friends at Four Hour Ranch and do something up there, but that's that's a little bit of a commute to try to get back to a a convention trade show. True. Uh, on the same day. Uh, okay. So yeah. This isn't. This is not off the books just yet. I know when we get to the south and west side of this, I know we're going to find some dirt over there. This this side is all new to me, and I would even drive down here just to do some winter training. Yeah, I mean these roads no, are th great. These are great roads. In a these, quarter mile, turn right. These bridges are just cool as hell. Another one. this road a lot. <laughs> Turn right onto Bethel Road. Man, right. there was three creek crossings just yeah. on that little stretch yeah. of road. Yeah. And alright. And I promise we'll wrap this up soon, but I'm just I'm fascinated by this property that you guys are looking at. Um well that's and if it's hopefully I'm not prying too much. No. Um keep referring to it as the property that you guys want and are looking at so I take it it's not it's not a done deal at the moment is no we've where we're yet in the process we put our offer in and they accepted uh, the offer is contingent upon us selling our home in Dallas um, as much as we would like to 
be able to afford a double mortgage that doesn't you know fit the bill right now sure <laughs> makes sense so um, they they seem to be uh, really interested in having us buy the property um, I think they understand how excited we are about it um, you know anytime you spend 40 years somewhere you're gonna develop a, an attachment right sure especially something like that so I, I kind of, we kind of get the feeling that they they want to see someone move in that's actually going to live there. In a quarter mile, continue straight. Appreciate the property and the, the views. The views are I mean, it's 30 mile views out to the the basically Santa Fe National Forest. <laughs> um, continue on to Anderson Road. So yeah, we ended up going back to do an inspection, uh, as everyone should do on on a home. Um, and there were a few things that came up, so we came back with a counter offer and lowered our offer price. And um, you know, we've been keeping them up to date on the process of our home because we had to do a few things to our home in Dallas to put it on the market. Um, yeah, so they they seem to be patient and willing to wait on us. Again, it's an off-grid home; it's a lot of land. Um, there's not a lot There's, of people that are gonna. It's not. It's really not. Really be miles. seeking that out. Yeah, it's. It. I wouldn't think that uh, it's a seller's market yet for that type of property. Right. I think uh, each year that goes by, it's gonna. Uh, I think. I think there's gonna be more interest in that type of lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I honestly, you know, people think it's kind of a faddish thing or. Uh, and I don't think it is. I think it's a byproduct of technology. I think it's a way people have wanted to have the capability to live for quite a while. It's just the reality of it, you know, for the past hundred years, mm -hmm. if you needed to work, you needed to live in a city and be able to get to work. Exactly. And yeah. now, you know, I mean, yes, the internet's been around and established for quite a while, but it's it's really just the past five years that it's really accelerated that the corporate culture is properly accepting yeah. that. Well, it's it's I think it's something that living in a big city you just take it for granted. There's a lot of living in a city that you take for granted. Um, you know, you just turn your faucet and there's water. Right. You know, um, think think about when a water water line breaks a water main breaks in a in Dallas right you wake up and you're trying to get ready for work and suddenly there's no water <laughs> what do you do right you just take it for granted um, same with power as has been evidenced you know the number of storms we've had lately in Dallas that have knocked out power for a lot of people and it's it's just stopped people in their tracks um, yeah sewage same thing I think it's uh, I don't know. I, I, to me, I kind of feel like it's the way that we as a society are going to have to move. Not fully, but we're going to have to learn to adopt some of this stuff to maintain a sustainable life. The way things are going now, I just don't know that it's it's uh, sustainable for another 200 years like this. Yeah. And I mean, and there's a lot of different pieces around that. I think one of the big hurdles that we're up against now is just the basic infrastructure of what was I mean, 
you know, the old sewer lines, the old highways, the old gas lines. The old iron pipes. Yeah, all, yeah. Of, all of that is the bridges and everything. You know, we're, we're getting to and past the end of life cycle for so much of the existing infrastructure. I'm not, you know, it's not like we're going to turn into Mad Max world or anything no. like that. I'm not implying that. Oh, wait a minute. Is that gravel? Do we do we have gravel? <laughs> oh my gosh! And it looks like good gravel. It looks too. like really good gravel at the intersection of Bill Lewis and Anderson Ranch Road. Ooh, I like the sound of that. Thank you, <laughs> sweet baby Christmas time Jeebus. <laughs> we have gravel, and it's good gravel, and it was good. <laughs> One last question along along. I could go on for days on this because I kind of somewhere down the road want to. I know this place. That's <laughs> <land>. <laughs> you might even be able to find a house. Or yeah. or you can build like part of our home. It, it was built in three phases. I guess I can go into this. Uh, the first part was adobe and stick as is normal out there. Right. Um, the second part is actually made from hay bales which is actually a normal construction technique out there. Okay. So you you stack up hay bales and you basically take adobe and wall it in. It means that your walls are like Man, as that's, wide as a hay bale. Yeah. Um, but it's so arid out there, you don't really have to worry about humidity and I'm, causing problems. I'm guessing that's some pretty heavy R-factor insulation at that point too. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, so like the we are living, we, oh yes, this, this gravel is looking great. Um, so we will be living, you know, at elevation and it's it's a high desert environment. So um, we actually don't have AC. So there's one less, you know, utility bill to pay for. Um, LP, do you have gas I assume? Yes, yes, okay. we have gas. So the home is actually heated some off of propane okay. and then some off of wood burning okay. stove. So, um, yeah, then the third part of the home is actually built, it's called Rostra Block. So, some people may be aware of it. It is concrete that is poured into kind of a, I'm just going to say a big rectangular form. And then they mix, it's essentially like, and I'm sure someone's going to correct me with the proper term, but for me right now, what I understand about it is it's basically like styrofoam that they mix in there. And then they will just cut the blocks and transport them and build with these concrete blocks that are actually lighter weight because they're half like styrofoam. Oh. So you can just, these, these blocks are maybe like three feet long by a foot deep by a foot tall. So when you say it was built in three phases, is it like a compound with three separate buildings or is it like a hodgepodge shed where one part looks like this and then the next section looks like that or? The, the whole exterior is in finished in the same turn left. adobe finish. Okay. So it looks like it was all built at once. Okay. When you're in the house, you'll kind of be like, some of it's pretty quirky. Um, I like quirky. I know, right? <laughs> so you kind of... Turn left oh, onto FM 876. The end of the so we, when we walked through it, we knew ahead of time that it was built in three phases. Part of the fun was, okay, let's figure out where those phases sure. start and end. And you know, you really can't tell all that well. It, it, it works, it just flows together and yeah. Barricade is interesting. I wonder if 
this floods or this looks bridge like dips. Bridges. It looks and also a quarter like it mile might be a newer bridge rate. potentially. True. Yeah, all the guardrails. All the guardrails. No, they must have had it closed. It's not a newer bridge. All the guardrails are new. No. Continue on to L.R. Campbell Road. So yeah, the nice thing is we're not going to really, our only reoccurring utility bill is going to be internet and LP. Okay. Propane. Alright, and I, I swear. In one mile. Last, <laughs> right. last question on this one. You mentioned 80 acres as well. Yes. Uh, was that much acreage something that you were specifically looking for or is it was it just a byproduct of this property would you know I guess uh, oh this is cool this is pretty if if for example if um, if this deal doesn't work out for some reason well, that's not pretty I wonder where he's coming from hopefully there's not a rock quarry up here or something um, would you be looking for something else that you know had that much acreage or is it more the type of house and setup and everything well when we start out started out looking we we'd kind of set we had set a search for anywhere from two to 20 acres um but if you've ever been out that way you'll know that you know 20 acres in i'm just going to say north texas because that's probably where the audience is um means one thing but when you don't have a whole bunch of trees blocking your view, 40 acres can actually seem kind of small because you can see your neighbor. And since what we wanted was not to be right next to people, um, we got out there and really just in our searching, we just said, all right, let's, let's just open up the acreage, but keep our price point the same. And that's how we found this place. And then we went out there and fell absolutely in love um, it's really rocky. In a There's quarter three, mile, turn right. Three ridges um, through the property that run north south. Um, you know, just to get up our driveway, you have to go through two switchbacks and climb about 150, maybe 200 feet. So, part of it was we saw the property and you know, turn right on Diola Lane. We're not going to raise cattle. We're not going to have livestock. The goal was to have property and just pretty much leave it probably cut in a few trails um but you know my husband that, looks like a gate. <laughs> that doesn't look like it's gonna work yeah so my husband uh grew up riding observed motorcycle trials and that was one of the goals for this move was to be able to get him back into riding trials it's just it's really where his passion is and new mexico is kind of a, a haven for observed trials so when we went out and we looked at the house and it worked and honestly he was back at the house i walked further into the property and walked over a ridge and it was just this massive uh, rock formation and i just had to call him over and say hey just stop whatever you're doing come look at this and he came over the ridge and that was it we were sold <laughs> <laughs> so and that, that's a nice little segue there so talking about bicycles like we really should be doing. <laughs> um, so you talk, you mentioned uh, potentially building in trails. Mm -hmm. When I get a chance, I'm going to find a spot to pull over, see if we can figure out how to get 
back towards where we need to be because that was definitely a private road that we won't be able to use on a route. <laughs> that was a big gate. Yeah. Um, so obviously uh, cycling is a passion of yours. Yes, very much so. Uh, so that I just assume that that's going to be a large part of your relocation as well. Would, uh, I mean, would, would this mean you would travel less because I think a lot of people that are listening to this or watching this are aware of some of your your trips and travels and journeys uh, you know since you can basically just go out your front door and have you know just wilderness at your fingertips so to speak yeah. is that gonna do you think that's gonna cut down on the number of trips or would you still be doing the same number of trips or no idea yet um so currently probably when we first get in obviously stay there on a more regular basis um, but the hope is that maybe I'd be able to guide some trips um, around the Santa Fe area um, or just out west turn right on Diola Lane I don't know why it's saying that. okay I see how we can do that so we're gonna follow the, we're just gonna keep following this road and we'll essentially eventually get back on course okay sorry to interrupt so uh, you may guide some trips around Santa Fe yeah um, of course I'll come back to Texas for some rides and you know if, if uh, some guiding opportunities present themselves back here you know I'm, it's not like we're saying goodbye to Texas forever <laughs> still have family here still have plenty of friends here um, but yeah it's it's uh, being able to I don't know, just go out your back door um, and just not see another house or a fence or a telephone pole. Um, yeah, that's that's kind of the main goal. From, from the front door, I've already mapped, <laughs> naturally, a few rides and we will be living two and a half, maybe three miles down a dirt road. Um, so I can head out the other direction and basically just have 50 miles of I'm going to call it two-track. Uh, they're gravel dirt roads, but they're pretty rough. Right. Um, without, I can do a 50-mile loop without ever hitting pavement. So I think it'll, uh, I think it'll fulfill my, my need to. 2.1, 2.1 and up territory, or. Uh, for the most part, I believe so. Okay. Yeah. There's some pretty rocky sections, but I think I have found. Um, other roads that kind of bypass that so if you you know maybe a 40 mil tire might be adequate depends on how much you like to beat yourself up <laughs> definitely uh, I, I feel like you want something more than just a cyclocross tire understood uh, you, you'd mentioned guiding some stuff out that way and still doing guiding do you have uh, specific plans around guiding services and how that works and what that may look like or is that something you already have laid out and are doing and this would just be an evolution of that or um, for guiding specifically out there um, or anywhere let's see I've done I've done some research uh, actually we've talked about this I contacted the state parks and talk to them about what it would take to guide trips um, either let's let's just say like Big Bend 
uh, state park, not the national park, um, or just point to point in Texas state parks. Hey, we're back. We found a little bit of dirt that we're gonna, and this is part of scouting. This isn't part of the planned route, but we came across this randomly. That's the that's uh, ride with GPS telling me I'm off route, which I am. Uh, but this is, uh, you know, people go, hey, Kevin, how in the world do you find these roads? Well, a lot of times it's happy little accidents just like this. This is my Bob Rossman methodology. Uh, what's that? Just an orange tabby. Still. <laughs> like, yeah, this is my corner. You're bothering me. I wouldn't be surprised if it's got a little bit of bobcat in it, though. Um, oh, good road. Again, Bob, Bob Ross methodology, happy little accidents. Sometimes we, uh, we see little diversions, and the only way to see what they amount to is is to follow them and see where they go. And, well, that goes to a farm to market road. Oh, more good road. Huh. Nice stuff here. like when the roads disappear off mm -hmm. the horizon. Mm -hmm. Oh, this is a good This is a good just looks like it's a straight road that would be just boring as all get out. This is a this is a good road here. Okay. So uh, we were talk we were talking about some guide stuff you may look into doing in the future as pieces come together and you get settled at the new place and things like that. Uh, that brings up a really intriguing thing to me right now and, and you and I have been working on it off and on uh, for the past couple of years I'm I, I know that there's a a need out there for uh, for for guided bicycle adventures um, paved unpaved single track gravel any combination thereof. I would agree with that. What 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 seems to be the thing that keeps eluding eluding me 
and not not from a not from a business perspective, not from a well, here, here's how spinistry can attack this market. More from a, you know, what is the missing piece? What is it? Oh no! Oh, oh no! And this is why we scout. That might just be. No, that looks like a pretty much a real gate. It's got locks on it, doesn't it? Yeah. Oh, darn. I mean, obviously, a bicycle could go around this very easily. <laughs> Not that we would condone trespassing. That's kind of... Let me look at this. It does say county road here. You know, on the other side of that, it's not marked as a county road. No, county no. road ends at the gate. Yep, 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 yep. Well, fish sticks. Fish sticks. <laughs> I didn't. There's got to be a turnaround that I missed. It wasn't. Yeah, there's there's two gates off either side. Gotcha. The um. It's been elusive to me to sort out what people are looking for. For those types of guided adventures, and I, I think it's hard because it can go so many different directions and I think that's a testament to the fact that different people just want different experiences. Uh, uh, yeah. ag agreed. agreed. Trying to find that middle ground seems to be really elusive. It's, it's, yeah, it's darn near impossible to find. Here's something that's somewhat suitable for all, but that said, when, when I say that, when we've had people that, for lack of a better term, I see all the buzzards in that. Uh huh. <laughs> Abandoned building. When we've had people that have, uh, again, for lack of a better term, because it's not the right term, but settled for doing one of our trips uh, that they felt was outside of their preferences, uh, mm -hmm. be it. Oh, I really wanted something that was harder. Right. Or, wow, that's really harder than I wanted to do. But right. people kind of... I don't think we've ever had a trip where the people that showed... Everyone that showed up ended up having a good time, even when it was outside of what their... I agree. ...preference. Was that, was yeah, that yeah. just me deluding myself? No, I agree. I, I was... You know, when we first start, started doing this, it was... You know, okay, so we're gonna put this trip together, and these are gonna be the mileages every day. And you get some people that wanted to, oh, well, that's not enough mileage for me. Um, but we've never once had someone add on extra mileage, <laughs> which is always an option. I think Rich. I think Rich did. Well, <laughs> Rich is special. <laughs> Rich is very special. Rich is Rich is like the goal, right? <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> I I do want to be. Rich, not wealthy. I want to be rich, Waltzman, when yes, I grow up. Absolutely. But yeah, it's. Um, I think from from my perspective, what I've seen is people get out there and we're having a great time. We're slowing down. We're we're stopping at all these amazing bridges and taking pictures and snacks. Like if you stop, it's a chance to just eat a bunch of snacks, right? <laughs> yeah. So you end up having this kind of camaraderie that builds among the group and you forget about, well, I really wanted to hit a hundred miles today, you know? And if you wanted it to be harder, like, okay, let's, 
let's set the goal of when you hit those hills with a fully loaded bike, hammer them, you know? We're not riding necessarily in a two-up pace line the whole time. You're still able to do, put in an effort if you want, or, you know, hammer the hills, or we regroup, you know? So it's, it's not like you're out there completely solo the entire time. If you want that, just tell us do that right but it seems like once people have gotten out there and been on the rides it's kind of been this oh yeah yeah this is we're having a lot of fun and I think I mean obviously everybody's different um, so generally I don't like generalizations <laughs> um, but there's there's definitely a common group that um, is worried so much about every piece of the puzzle on these trips and is uh, very detail-oriented. Very detail, well, and <laughs> detail-oriented to some extent, but more of a uh, uh, almost paranoid in a, in a way that they they want to they want to. Really? Oh, it was two goats. But it's two goats okay, okay. laying against each other. Like, oh, let's get a video of this. <laughs> but um, I think some people overthink it from the, uh, am I prepared enough? Do I have the right gear and blah, blah, blah. And I think that's totally normal. It is normal. <laughs> but I, I think a lot of those people have found not too far into it. It's like, okay, I'm just riding a bike. Just riding a bike. And All I have to worry about is riding my bike and eating snacks. <laughs> and eating snacks. <laughs> and if there's a campfire and a cold beer waiting at the end, yeah, so be it. Yep. So be it. So it, Maybe stop at the gas station, you know, have some of those fried hush puppies. <laughs> oh, I forgot about those. Those yeah. were a hit. Every once in a while we, we find uh, fresh homemade cinnamon buns. Yep. And we are back on course, which you can tell by the pavement. <laughs> I think we should be hitting dirt pretty soon here. That said, it's still a In good bike ride. Miles, it is. Great. It is. It's. Um, I think one of the one of the other things that I, I've learned catches a lot of people kind of off guard is, you know, it may only be a 50, 60 mile route. But when you add the weight on your bike, mm. it it might as well be a hundred. Good point. You add the weight of you know even even if you're doing a guided trip and maybe food is going to be provided at the end, you're still having to carry your tent, your bags, and you know that was one of the things for sure um, when I first started doing this. And I came from a road racing background. I I trained hardcore for roads, so I was very much in the mindset of. Well, if I don't average this on a ride, then something's wrong with me, right? Or if I don't get massive miles in a day, like, what am I training for? But then you get out there and you realize that, no, this is mental training. Ooh, and as so many of us point. know, racing bicycles is mental. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta train for fitness, but if you don't have your head on straight, it can get the best of you in the middle of a race. So 
to me, it's almost like you can incorporate these trips into your training. You're going to get a good workout in, but you're also giving yourself an opportunity to disconnect from everything, which, I mean, we talked about this earlier. That's kind of what bikes are for most of us, right? It's a, it's a chance to just kind of get away from stuff. And you just, yes, this is the road. I think we're away <laughs> from stuff now. Yeah. Ooh. Oh. Oh my. Might need that four wheel drive. Yeah, it's, it's, um, I honestly wish that I had had this, uh, in my wheelhouse when I was racing. I wish I had had the experiences from bikepacking. Alright, I'm going to go out and explore these <laughs> mud pits. Uh, you're welcome to riff on your own and share anything that you want to. Rich did a good job of that. Uh, and mock me if you need to. Rich did an excellent job of that. <laughs> I'm going to see if he uh, steps into some of this mud and goes ankle deep real fast. Yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful road. It's uh, I'm going to call it two track. Yeah, and they did get some rain down here last night. But I'm kind of seeing on a bicycle. I'm seeing a pretty easy way through this. We're in a we're in a big truck, so it kind of changes things. <clears throat> but yeah, I guess um, I can just ramble on about you know the the mental aspect of bikepacking and how much it can en enhance so many different parts of our lives. Um, yeah, I don't really know much, much more to say about that. <laughs> I'm thinking he's feeling pretty confident about this road now. And it's, it's truly, it's a short stretch. Just kind of a little low area with a nice canopy. And these roads out here are like perfect fall riding roads. Tons of trees. Come out here. We're on the change of the colors, and I bet it'd be beautiful. We're golden. We're good? Yeah. I think we could do it in two-wheel drive, no problem, but I'll leave it in four-wheel drive just for safety factor. Famous last words, right? You gonna high center again? Hopefully not. <laughs> that was the Jeep. Oh, that reminds me, I have a picture I need to post. Rich sent it. He, uh, that was too easy. I love this truck. Um, after uh, Ride the Net this past weekend, Rich stayed up in Paris for an extra day and basically opted to ride the Fulbright. I need to talk to him about it because he sent some pictures. Ride the full right bottoms, which is where I got the Jeep stuck. Mm -hmm. And he sent a picture of his bike from uh, the exact spot where I got the Jeep stuck. And it definitely made it much more evident why the Jeep got stuck there. Why it got stuck. <laughs> In the daylight picture with the, with the bicycle for scale. <laughs> I think I've ridden that road, and I think I may have gotten a picture in roughly the same spot. Okay. <laughs> it was, uh, I mean, make no mistake. I made a fundamental error in getting cocky when I was trying to straddle the ruts because that crossing, it, it was tractor ruts that were mm -hmm. tractor tire deep. Yeah. And I was trying to straddle them uh, 
which is still questionable if I'd have made it on the straddle, but probably. But it slid down off the straddle into the ruts, and it was like, ah, I've been doing so good on all these other holes. Instead of backing up and reattempting re the straddle, I said, oh, I'll just push on through. But what I didn't realize on that hole, the water that was there on the previous holes was, you know, the water was maybe as deep as the bottom of the tire up to the rim. Mm -hmm. On that one, that water <laughs> was to the top of the tire deep. <laughs> so I was like, yeah. Oops. Didn't find out till too late. Oh man, I hope this one goes through good for us. I'm liking yeah. this. It's two track like this? Yeah, this double, is yeah, the this double, is what I live for. The double track stuff's usually my favorite. In a quarter mile, continue straight. And where were we before we uh, oh we were get, getting away and um, just disconnecting. Just disconnecting and the sub twenty four hours, it's amazing what just a sub 24 hour bike packing trip can do for your brain. Just a chance to uh, reset. And I, I, I agree completely. I think both of us kind of look at those sorts of trips in the, in the same light. I think a lot, there's a lot of people that look Continue straight at on them Creek. from a a different perspective where they, they they see they see that type of trip as just the concept of the trip as a challenge um, a hurdle to overcome in some stretch and I think sometimes I kind of lose perspective on that myself I I, t I take the carrying my stuff in one mile, and turn right. overnighting aspect of it for granted uh, not that I'm any expert outdoorsman by any stretch of the imagination, and that's kind of my point. It's like I'm not an expert outdoorsman. I think that's a really good point. It's you don't have to do, you know, a six-week trip to become comfortable with this stuff. Exactly, one trip and I was comfortable. I'll be honest with you. I mean, I knew, yeah, I still know. I'm going to come across stuff that oh, well, that's new. What do I do? Well, I'll figure out something. Yeah, and I I'd love to honestly get some feedback from people that have done some of the trips whether I've been on them or not just you know even the AC adventures or other other uh, I guess really overnight trips just kind of what what did people go in with for fears and then fears and expectations and what did, what they, did come they come out, out with? with that's a darn good point you know I have my perspective from watching people and helping people yeah. work through yeah. some things but you know there's there's other things that maybe I Totally that, missed, and I'd love to hear from people on that. That would be a fun little roundtable. I think that would make a good podcast to be on if we could get, you know, three or four people together that were different from different backgrounds and groups uh, that may may have done some of these trips. Maybe with us, maybe with you, maybe. This is a good. Oh, road. this is a good road. <laughs> oh. You know, I, I enjoy. Um, just like you mentioned, maybe we've lost sight of some of that. So I enjoy hearing from new people, even. Like, what's their trepidation before they've even gone on a trip? Yes. What is their hesitation? What's the thing that they think about this trip and it 
they fear something or like they, their anxiety is rising. What, what intimidates them the most? Yeah, like I, I want to know that because some of it's super valid. I mean, all, uh, all of it's valid. All the, Every single intimidation is a valid intimidation. Absolutely. Uh, and that just allows us to help them find the ways to overcome those intimidations. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. That's a darn good point. Uh, and obviously, anyone that's watching or listening, your comments are appreciated. And a quarter mile, turn right. Because ultimately, and you know, I, I don't want to speak for Jan on this, but I think she kind of comes from this, a similar mindset as I do on stuff like this. Even though we do this as a business or a commercial endeavor or whatever you want to call it, I don't think either one of us has any expectation of getting rich off people riding bicycles <laughs> to state parks or in the woods or down gravel roads. Um, no, I don't want that at all. <laughs> it's about a fulfilling experience for us to help others. Turn right onto Bell Branch Road. That, you know, it, if, if they can get somebody to lend a hand in, in finding their, their weekend adventure when their life's so busy that they can't dedicate that yeah. much time and resources or just have no desire to, right. quite frankly. I think another aspect of it is, you know, there's there's probably a group of people out there that are perfectly comfortable in three and three quarters taking miles on a trip left. like this on their own, but they want camaraderie That's at the end of the day. Ultimately, you know? ultimately that's kind of, that's the end of it I kind of gravitate towards and where I sometimes get skewed laying these out is that, oh, hey, if I was doing this and found six other people that wanted it, we'd have a good old time together. And so, so you know, sometimes I get a little narrow, well, like it's in a roundabout way, it's kind of how we're out here. I was laying together a, a, a multi-day point to point, uh, basically get off uh, the Amtrak in McGregor and then pedal back to Dallas. Um, and that's how I first found some of these roads on this route that aren't part of what we've been on yet, which I still want to do, which is st I'm still looking forward to doing. But then I started breaking it down. It's like, that's, that's an aggressive trip. <laughs> it's a good one. It's a darn good trip, but it's, uh, it, it, it's high mileage days. And when I was looking at doing it, it was like middle of February. So short days from a sun sunlight perspective and potentially cold weather. It's like, yeah. Maybe, maybe it'd be a good trip for a select, I shouldn't say that, a small group that maybe is focused on training for ultra racing events. Well, and that's kind of, it's like, you know what? Maybe that's something to put out there down the road and do shorter things that incorporate some pieces of it and see if people want to, you know, hey, you'd, here's something we're thinking about doing in October. Or whatever September, um, you know, come join us on this trip and see if uh, see if uh, you know that gives you the foundation to maybe do some other stuff to to lead up to that sort of thing. It, and we've talked about this. It, it, it's 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 all progressions. Um, it's progressions in comfort level. It's it's progressions in fitness, it's progressions and hell acquiring equipment along yes, the way. Absolutely. There you know, there's no doubt that that's a major part of it. Uh, 
but that said, I think anyone can get by on one trip with just the most... Oh, I'm really digging this road. <laughs> this one better not dead end on me. Um, oh, this is cool. Imagine this during the fall. The leaves are changing. Yeah. We just missed that. Yep. Nice. Um, okay, so now I gotta figure out how to get this part into that. <laughs> Alright, so I'm pretty, yeah, I'm pretty stoked about this being a backup route for that International Grand Prix of crap. I mean, I would still do a, a standalone on this stuff as well, but knowing that we could get to probably Maypril's about as close as we could get to Dallas, I think, to start finding decent gravel. Yeah, I guess that's just kind of what you get with the Metro mess, huh? Well, yeah. And I'll be... Uh, so, that brings up a good point. So, the, the first half of this route that we did, that was all pavement up to this point, uh, somebody posted, Joe Rosario, possibly, I can't remember, posted a text dot overlay map tool that supposedly showed all the dirt roads in Texas. Mm -hmm. um, and at a glance, I recognized that it was by no means 100% accurate. I looked up a couple of roads that I knew were recently changed or ones that they showed that no, that's the dirt right now. That was paid five years ago. Um, with that said, they did show it did show me some dirt roads that I wasn't aware of. So it's still a decent tool. I don't want to bemoan it that much. But uh, that first half that we did that ended up being all pavement. Probably according to that text dot map, 75% of those were supposed to be dirt roads. Oh wow. So oh no. Does it, does it turn? It does. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> probably a wide-angle lens on the camera there's a gate ahead but uh, look glancing at the map the road does make a hard right just before it yeah that's probably my biggest pain when it's it's okay to go a quarter mile down the road and be gated off when you go eight miles down the yeah. road it's oh this is awesome and then brick wall gate whatever and it's like I've had a, a route through um, around Colorado Bend. I've tried so many times to, to <laughs> I, map routes through there. And I know what you're talking about. You find this one road and you, you zoom in on the satellite and you follow the road all the way and it connects. And then you get out there and there's this one little gate yep. that you couldn't see on satellite. <laughs> And then you turn around and you're riding back and then the owner is like heading into town and they're looking at you like, what are you doing? Yep. <laughs> I think I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. It's a nice climb. You end up up on the top of stuff. It's like a grassy field. Yep. Yeah. Yep. The one like dirt road that you can actually possibly ride through. Nope. It's gated. And I... Sounds like maybe you did you come up from the south to that, or did you did you catch that east to west I think north I came end? From the south. Okay, I caught it from the east to west north end. So I've never done it from the south because I knew it was going to eventually be gated. Mm -hmm. um, 
my understanding is my, the way it was explained to be by another landowner out there was that it is a county road that that guy has chosen to get off on his own, but he's got enough um, political or financial backing that nobody says boo to him about it. Yeah. It's the nature of Texas. The properties, you know, the roads will cut through, but after so long, you know, people don't use those roads anymore. And they kind of get absorbed. Absorbed. <laughs> this is a good, this is a really good road. And it looks like stays interesting the way that one wiggles around. Yeah. I will say that that Hillsboro ride, the road that paralleled the uh, train tracks, mm -hmm. I loved it. Absolutely loved it. We, when, when I laid out that route, I, I, I really liked it. Um, but I'll be perfectly honest with you, I think we got more kudos and uh, thank yous for that route than I think anything else we've ever done. Awesome. Because um, it incorporated, it, it wasn't, there's nothing wrong with just straight gravel roads. You know, wide, you can run them on a cross tire and just book it. But some of what intrigues me so much about this stuff is those roads that you know are abandoned. That, that maybe you're going to have to pay attention to what's on the road as you're riding it. It just makes it exciting. I always say, you know, the, the, the best part of exploring and scouting these routes or just riding them myself, uh, riding other people's routes, it, it's, you know, I know what the maps tell me, but we're, you know, what's around this next turn here? I don't yeah. know. So I'm kind of intrigued. Especially uh, in Texas, you'll turn the corner and there may be a whole herd of uh, oh, no. longhorn cattle. Oh, no. oh, there's, a oh there's a deer. Keeps us on. Yep. Yeah, it looked like we were supposed to turn left there for a second, but that was just a little hairpin thing. This is this is a good road. The um, yeah, the, so that that Hillsboro ride, um, particularly our shorter route riders, the 50k riders, and we uh, we are definitely on those shorter routes. You know, the 30 to 40 mile routes that we're doing. It's really interesting. We're getting off at each event a lot of. Uh, not just new to spinistry, but new gravel riders in general. Awesome. It's, it's their first gravel ride. And um, I think it's really important for uh, the gate there. I think it's really important for all the routes, no matter what distance they, they are, to be as interesting and fun as possible. I agree. Um, you know, it's 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 real easy for me as a, a route designer to get it in my head of, uh, okay, let's concentrate on that 100-mile route. Got to make sure we got that monster climb in there somewhere. Blah, blah, blah. Um, but in turn, 
sometimes I have to shift to a different mentality of well, if, some, if somebody's never ridden in a quarter mile, before, turn left. They don't necessarily need need that big killer climb as a challenge. It's not that they won't appreciate it, but just you know, winding in and out of a, a, a narrow road with blind turns. When you when you don't have houses, yeah. you know, and driveways the whole way, you know, that's one of the things I've I've heard from people too is well you're just you're out in the middle of nowhere. And and the reality is, honestly, none of this is really out in the middle of nowhere. No, we're we're <laughs> You know, we're we're still within uh, 911 service here, realistically. People drive these roads every day. Yeah. You're not gonna, you know, if, if something happens, you're not gonna find yourself turn left on truly stranded. But if you've never been on roads like this, if you've never done it under your own power, it really can be intimidating. Uh, that oh, I know. I know where that goes. I've been on. That's an excellent road. Oh wait a minute. We need to check this one out regardless because this would be this would speaking of our shorter route rider this would be our bisect road yeah so let's see what this looks like and then we'll go back to the other one yeah yeah we're off we're off course we're off course but we're not it's completely intentional <laughs> yeah there, there can be that moment of you know, on spinistry rides where maybe I've lost sight of the person in front of me and behind me because the road starts twisting and turning and maybe I wanted to take a break, you know, and the, the group pedaled on. And if you've never really been in that situation before and your brain can just kind of take over and tell you all the bad things that can happen. But the reality is, like, it, it's not like that. This is that bridge that had the uh, oh, yeah. barricades. Yeah, the, the one with the new mm -hmm. guardrails. Okay. Um, Continue well, on to L.R. Campbell Road. We're back to the, the, you know, so much of it is mental. Even even just that, 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 that seed of doubt when, uh, particularly for someone that hasn't ridden this ministry routes before and they're not confident in if the markings are good or if the GPS track works right or and that 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 seed of doubt gets planted five minutes into a stretch of road that did I miss a turn right uh, I'm not seeing anyone uh, did I just hear a bear in the woods yeah. All, right. it, it, yes. the, the paranoia starts building at that point the anxiety starts building and I think it's normal oh it's completely normal honestly if it doesn't happen Especially if That's you're Abby starting, normal. then yeah, then I'd be worried that you're not really thinking about it. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <clears throat> and and it's just habituation, exposure to it. You know, you realize that yeah, maybe I can't see a house from where I'm at, but I remember that oh yeah, like before I made that turn, one mile back there there was a house. I can ride my bike one mile. If I had to, I could walk one mile. I think it's it's super easy to kind of in four miles turn right. Get that mindset of like if I have a flat on my bike and I can't fix it, I'm stranded. This is a really good road. Uh, 
that's an old. Check this out. I know people watching won't see this. That's an old railroad bed right there okay. that goes all the way through the property. Be an awesome rail trail. <laughs> and when we get further into this, you'll see it's 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 all it's all wooded through there. It's really nice. cool. wasn't this thin so the foliage has gone down so yeah I've seen a lot more of the rail bed than I did before but I mean this is a good road yeah make no mistake the road itself is pretty cool it'd be even cooler if you could do the rail <laughs> too yep that'd be a nice tight little loop um but yeah the the anxiety thing is I agree I mean that's that's good completely normal completely natural uh, I mean not to the uh, not to the point of having an anxiety attack about it by any stretch of the if if you're going that deep into it um, well I've, I've been around some people that that's happened um, and you know it's it's I guess on one hand you know it's it's easy to kind of look at it and go why but on the other hand I also understand that Especially if like you've never been camping. Yeah. Right? If you've never been camping, if you've pretty much grown up in a city your entire life and not really experienced some of that, um, you know, it what do you do? You don't know these things. What I counter with is you do know these things. You're just letting your anxiety truly tell you that you don't. Yeah. The the thing is so much of this is um, I don't know, just innate. We know these things. We just kind of forget that we know them. They, uh, you don't use, use your problem-solving skills in that regard on a regular basis, then maybe you get rusty, you know? Uh, have you ever been in a situation where you were tr truly scared? Oh yeah, absolutely. What in the world is going on here today? I guess some road maintenance. We'll find it here soon. Yeah. There's someone ordering a bunch of fill dirt. Yeah, you can see on the side where they've kind of been they, scraping. Yeah, they scraped the ditches. Yeah. One of my first trips that I did um, out in the American West, I was in Utah. Headed out from Green River, Utah, and I was going to ride, I think it was on our way to Burning Man. They've been clearing that. Huh. And, you know, I hadn't, I had experienced the high desert. I hadn't experienced the high desert in the middle of August, um, which, you know, in Texas, that's one of the hottest, or the hottest month. Um, it's not too far off for high desert in Utah. And four hours in, I had gone through six liters of water. The road was pretty much just a sand pit. Um, and the road that I had mapped disappeared. And the next thing I knew, I was, it kind of turned into a gully. And there was a dead cow in front of me. And the walls for this gully were about 10 feet tall. And trying to drag a loaded bike up that was, uh, yeah, it, it scared me. I, 
it was that moment of, I'm in the middle of nowhere, I have no cell service, my husband knows where I am, and I have a spot tracker. But that was part of the preparation. I didn't just head out there without having a backup plan. So yeah, I hit that friends and family SOS, not the right. uh, send in the search right. and rescue right. $15,000 SOS. And uh, the funny thing was, I hit it once, but apparently it alerted him six times. So he was convinced that I was crashed out, had a broken leg, could not move. So it was kind of a, a learning experience on multiple fronts. <laughs> but I ended up taking a step back. You know, I was kind of overheating, so I found a little bit of shade in that gully, stopped, and I looked at my Garmin, at my map, and I said, wait a second, about a mile to the east, it looks like there's another road. This isn't doing me any good. There's a cattle trail headed that way. As soon as I got up, off, out of the gully, up to the top, I looked out and I saw a solar well that was about where that road was going to be. And the next thing I know, I am filling up with ice cold, fresh pumped water. I'm taking some uh, breather, eating some food under the shade of that solar panel. And I had cell service. I was able to call Monty and say, hey, meet me at, at the pavement here. I'm on my way. So what started out as a, honestly, panic attack. A panic moment. I just said, well, what, am, what are my choices here? I can continue to panic, or I can try to get myself out of the situation. And that was that moment where I said, wow, like I am actually really capable of this stuff. And that's why I think when I say, I think anyone is capable of it. If I went through that at that point and came out on the other end and learned a lesson, I think anyone could. Uh, I, I, I agree. I mean, I am, I'm, I'm about a city boy as you can come across. I don't have a, a backcountry background of any kind. Uh, yeah. He's letting me through. He needs to be the one to stop on this one. <laughs> I think that's one of the things, you know, I, I do this ministry events and many times I'll just wait for everyone to head out at the start. I'll take my time and head out. And, you know, I, I may come across someone who's had a flat. They don't know how to fix it. Or they're just taking a break and we're going to, I don't know, finish a bottle of water if the water stop that together. Thing, uh, that brings <laughs> up a really good point. Uh, um, I, don't, I don't know that you and I have ever spoken about this topic before, so interested to see what your thoughts are and if we have spoken about it it's a good chance it fell out of my head for various reasons you slept since then i slept since then there <laughs> might have been a tequila or two involved uh and my tequila has finally disappeared i yeah. nursed it as long as i could <laughs> but uh, anyway um the The, uh, I think we're very, very close to the point. I mean, the, I've, I've seen 
a, a smattering of them in some of our events over the past couple of years. And I don't, I mean, I'm not saying like the next event is, is going to be full of them, but I think we're getting really close to the point of the e-bikes um, being a regular part of the gravel environment, potentially the bike packing environment as well. Um, and I think that's going to bring in uh, another Another group, as far as backgrounds and uh, knowledge and skills, for lack of a better term, mm -hmm. uh, that we're that we're not familiar with yet ourselves. Um, what I, I know, e-bikes are a polarizing topic in general, and we kind of agreed on the front end to try to stay away from polarizing stuff. <laughs> but what I mean, what what do you what are your thoughts on people doing this type of stuff on e-bikes and things like that? Um, I think it's fine. I'm going to put a caveat on that, though. If you're heading out to do the 100-mile route and you're trying to race it against the people that are self-powered, I think you need to reevaluate some things. Um, I could agree with that 110%, yes. But if you want to go out and do the 100-mile route, Maybe the 100 mile route isn't in your wheelhouse otherwise. Well, I agree right? with that 110%. I think well. that that is where the e bikes come in. People that, um, you know, they love the 50 mile route, but they just don't ride enough. They don't have the time to gain the fitness to do the 100 mile route. But at the end of the 50 mile route, they were like, man, I wish I could still be out there. Wish I could see the rest of that stuff. I wish I could explore more. Yeah. You know, and I've thought about it on the Pony Express. I honestly, I would ride an e-bike on the Pony Express. I don't have a problem with it. I have had a few instances with e-bike riders that make me really understand why there is so much, as we're going over washboard. In a quarter mile, turn why right. Why there is such a divide. Um, you know, on a, a trail in Utah, we, we were, going downhill and this guy came you know the trails out there multi-directional and he came around a switchback on an e-bike easily going 30 miles an hour and drove us off the trail um, you know that's that's something that I think people need to be aware of but at the same time if if my grandmother said I want to experience this with you and said I want to get on an e-bike that's the only way I can do this. Turn right onto Bee Creek Road. Why not? You know? Sure. It's, it sounds like we're on the same page, generally speaking, on the concept. Um, I do wonder how many people out there understand what the difference is between an e-bike and a motorcycle. Because there is two and a half miles a turn right. And I wonder how many people understand that difference. Because I have seen a lot of people, I've come across a number of people that think that an e-bike has a throttle that you just pin and you don't have to pedal. Well technically so, technically some do. Technically some do. You have the different classes of e-bikes. Right. Um, the and I don't I don't I don't think there's a way at least 
I don't think there's a way as as idyllic as it would be that hey these e-bikes are allowed at these events or on, or on these trails or in these federal government lands but these aren't haven't haven't they put some of those stipulations wattage, on some trails for wattage it's more the enforcement of it how do okay, you, yes that's my point it's yeah you you can you can make all the rules you want to it's like anything else in life how do you enforce it um you gotta train people to know what they're looking at and yeah and then you have to retrain them as every new bottle of bike comes out true because you know how you know how is a how is a forest ranger in utah going to be able to look at a bike and go that's a class one versus a class three true they what so ultimately what do they have to you know uh how fast can that bike go Oh, it can only go 20 miles an hour, officer. Right. Oh, you're within limits then. You're good to go. Right. You know? Um, so, and that's my point. Um, don't get me wrong. I, from a, uh, I, I think it's better for the appropriate bikes to be in the appropriate places. I, uh, Absolutely. I just, I just don't think there's ultimately going to be any way that it can be policed outside of people policing for themselves and if 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 the because we're already past the tipping point e-bikes are e-bikes are part of the absolutely cycling scene now that's not going backwards that genie is out of the bottle so now and you we know if, if e-bikes means that more people commute on an e-bike than they do drive <laughs> that's a good thing too the, I'm, I'm about to, I, I'm, I'm not here. I'm not here espousing the virtues of e-bikes by any stretch of the imagination. I just, I don't see much downside to them, to be honest with you. Um, sure, if the if the local Dallas mountain bike trails all of a sudden get clogged up with you know 300 people a day on e-bikes going full throttle 25 miles an hour in sections that most people can't ride over seven. Um, that would be an issue but that's not a realistic issue because the people that are riding those at seven is because that's as fast as you can ride those sections whether you're pedaling or pulling the throttle realistically right. um yeah okay i i i just wanted to see uh, what your general thoughts around e-bikes were because like i said it is something where the genie is out of the bottle it's not going backwards there's going to be more of it in uh in the not very distant future and I honestly think that the bike packing and uh, 100 mile days of single track and gra gravel roads and stuff when the bike technology is there for that I think we're gonna we're gonna see a lot more people doing that stuff at that point I think there's a lot of people going back to when we were putting our uh, adventure rides together and we kind of found the 50 mile ish day is kind of a sweet spot um, even though people think they want more miles they, they get 50 miles in and I, I, I think that's just that's from uh, the the 50 mile day is from a okay well I you know I don't want to be dead at the end of the day where I can't enjoy the, the social scene afterwards Realistically, I think every single one of those people would love to have seen a hundred miles worth of stuff that day. Right. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think I think we'll be seeing some of that. And I think what's 
really going to take it over the top. I mean, it's hard enough for one person in a family to find the time to train up and get fit. In a quarter mile, turn right. Do 100 mile days, multi 100 mile days, uh, let alone your partner or significant other or right. even your child or whatever else. I think you'll see a lot of tag alongs. Where I, I can't wait to see that. That's what I'm actually excited about that yeah. prospect. Where, okay, hey, maybe I am still riding my regular pedal bike mm -hmm. and doing my 75 mile day. Uh, but my wife, you know, she's not going to do a 75 mile day as much as she would want to. Or like in my instance, you know, Monty had to have a total hip replacement. Right. He can't, he just simply can't do it. Turn anymore. right out right. of Butler right. He also, you know, travels so much for I, work that he can't train as much. I, I, I think know? ultimately that's where the e-bikes are going to be most beneficial to um, the cycling industry as a whole uh, is that it is going to give the flexibility for more family involved. Now, yeah, I recognize there's some people, yeah, that one says dead end. Doesn't show that on the map, so we'll, we'll prove it to ourselves. Sometimes the dead end sign isn't real. Most of the time they are. Sometimes it ends up as like remote two track. Yes, it does. That's another piece. That's a cool one. <laughs> Um, in a quarter mile, turn left. I do recognize that there are lots of people. Well, not lots, but there are certain people that do utilize their bicycle weekends to have weekends to themselves. And it wouldn't be a motivation to them for other people in their household to join them on those trips. But I think for the most part, most people like to do more stuff with the, the people in their families whenever they could. Turn left onto Eubanks Road. I mean, we haven't found the dead end yet, right? Not yet. Not yet. Road may flood. One of our good signs. And dirt. Yep. <laughs> and uh, that is not a coincidence. For those of you that aren't familiar with how the dirt road networks work, lots of times the dirt roads are dirt roads uh, because if you pave them, and they flood three or four times a year, it's extremely cost prohibitive to fix that damage when it's paved. Um, yeah, versus dirt. Versus dirt, oh, we just bring in the, the grader and blade it. Maybe, maybe dump a couple truckloads of rock in there sort of thing. Have you, have you spent any time in the Mojave? No, okay. not, not yet. For my, for my going to California, that's that's one of the spots I in have a quarter mile turn right. The most concern about the viability of the route I have mapped. I mean, I know there's roads there, mm -hmm. um, but you know, are they roads or are they just turn right on Extended stretches of sand pits. Were they roads at one point? No, they're, road, they're, road. no, they're roads. They're roads. Well, I say that. There's, there, there's, uh, paved, there's paved ways I could do it. Um, somewhat circuitous. In a quarter mile, turn left. Um, so I guess my worst case scenario is I have to back up to the paved routes, but that kind of defeats the purpose. So I'm hoping the dirt roads are there work. Only one way to find out, I do believe. So, yeah, right now, the two parts of that that 
uh, are the biggest mysteries to me are uh, the Mojave Desert and turn left onto Auburn Road. The north uh, north side of the Grand Canyon stuff I have mapped out. I'll have to look at that because there's some uh, like the Plateau Passage route bikepacking routes. Yeah, it goes north of the Grand Canyon. There's but it also depends on. That's kind of what I ran into on the Pony Express. I was I kept trying to make it be this one route, but then I realized in a quarter you know, mile, be turn right. Some people that are gonna want to ride this thing on a plus bike, anyways. So they would prefer to be on the three miles of sand mm -hmm. than on the shoulder of the highway. And then there's gonna be people who are gonna insist on riding it on a cross bike, even though I would not suggest it. And they're gonna hate that three miles of sand, and they're gonna want to be on the pavement. Right. You know, or turn right to stay on Auburn Road. You know, maybe it's rained, right? Uh, some single track options that are easily bypassed, but it's pavement. <clears throat> no, that's a good, that's a good road that I use okay. on another route. Ah, oh, sweet. Um, and that's uh. Yeah. It's almost like you, whenever you do In a one long mile, route, turn left. like you've got to do two. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, um, the one thing I've put, that's kind of slipped into my mind a couple times when laying out, going to California, that I think would be kind of cool, but maybe it's just me just being a bike geek and then plus one and I can completely justify having just about every type of bike there is. Oh yeah. Um is I particular you know, forty five hundred miles, mostly dirt roads. Um there's it's a very, very finite audience of people that are just gonna go out and do that. Do the whole thing in one go. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's Dig this out, or did it washed out more from the last time I was, a, and it wasn't that long ago. I didn't think we'd had that big of a rain. Interesting. Um, the uh, what I think would be kind of cool is like somebody doing it uh, kind of ram style, and maybe having a support crew or a semi-support crew that's meeting them every day or two and hey take the fat bike on this section and oh yeah uh, we're gonna we're gonna take the you know we're gonna take the drop bar mountain bike on this one hey we're gonna take just a regular mountain bike on this one and uh, no road bikes though that, yeah. no never allowed that, that thought has crossed my mind for the pony express too because i mean doing it as a relay is kind of what the pony express was right right oh so if you have oh my god if you had it oh where you had your bike right but you planned oh. ahead of time okay this this stretch is going to no, require you can, yeah, it'd be better it'd be faster on a full suspension bike or a plus bike so this person is going to do that section on their yeah, plus bike this, this team member is on is on the downhill bike this team member mile, is on a regular left. gravel bike this team member yeah. oh. but do it as a relay yes 
That would be a very interesting race. I'm thinking you could get some bike manufacturers interested in that. It would take a lot of work to organize that. Might be it's worth it. It's not out of the question. It might it be worth it. Hey, Salsa, <laughs> listen to this one, okay? I just need a few more people to ride the route and, and get their input on it. And then, you know. Oh, I like that idea. Turn left Sky's the limit. So, all right, so. Remind me, how many miles is your Pony Express route? 2,200. Starting where, ending where? St. Joseph, Missouri, which is just uh, 40 miles north of Kansas City. So you can just fly into Kansas City and ride your bike. And it's all farmland and really gravel roads. You start in St. Joseph, Missouri. You head through the Flint Hills, the northern part of the Flint Hills and the Glacier. Turn right onto Smith Road. The Glacier Hills of Kansas cut up into Nebraska, uh, go to Scotts Bluff, and then from there you go up to Casper, Wyoming, and then you get real remote and go through, uh, you actually cross the Great Divide route, it actually intersects it, and you're on In a quarter mile, the same route turn for left. like, I think a half a mile, uh, and then you head to Salt Lake City, across the entirety of Utah, Utah and Nevada, and end up in Sacramento, California. It's, it's really the route. In a quarter love, mile, turn left. If you love, I'm just going to say, if you love the long days of spinistry events, it's your route. I feel like the Pony Express would be right in your wheelhouse. You get just gravel roads for miles that are good, graded gravel roads. And then you might get thrown a mountain pass in there that turns to some single track, maybe double track. Turn left to stay yeah. on Smith Road. So, I mean, if you were to go simplistic on it, so and we'll just, we'll, we'll we'll stay in the salsa vein since they probably have as much variety as any. That's an interesting looking road too. It says um, arrow. <laughs> um, all right, so so majority sounds in like one mile. Turn left. Cutthroat or Fargo. Yeah. Some. Some uh, horse thief or spearfish. I would say a full squish would be a little too much. Okay, okay. Yeah. Okay. Even with a lockout, because you're going to need that frame space to carry stuff. Okay. Um, it's kind of like, you know, I learned that when I did Baja. Uh, it's real easy to want to just jump on a full squish bike, but when you realize you're going to be, you know, days without food resupply, suddenly that frame space becomes critical. I've, I've I've lost track of what are the, what are the uh, what are the what are the fat bike models these oh, days? I yeah I haven't been able to keep up with it all. I haven't either. I haven't either. I mean, is it is any of it fat bike appropriate on the Pony Express, or is that overkill? Is it twenty seven five plus enough? Um, so I've had this thought: if you are comfortable in winter weather. Ooh. And I know where you're going now. You got to think about Casper, Wyoming, Utah, high desert, Nevada, high desert. The winter there can be brutal. Yeah. yeah. But people do it. Yeah. So if you if you just really love winter weather, I think a fat bike ride a across the Pony mile, Express would be did the really actu interesting. 
did the actual Pony Express run uh, in the winters? They or did. What? Okay. There's actually, there's stories of riders going hypothermic and kind of, you know, going to sleep and the horses just know the route and they would show up to the next station and the rider would just be passed out on the horse, you know, from the, the weather, Turn left from the on Road. So, it, I, I, I put the, that um, thought out there with a very strong caution. <laughs> right, no, no, I, I, I get that completely. It's a roadrunner. In two and a half miles, continue straight. I think if you were to break down the route into sections, if you just really wanted to ride a plus bike or a fat bike, the, uh, the Nevada section, okay. you'd be fine on. Because there's there's some valleys through there that are, uh, I mean, pretty much all those valleys through there are like ancient lake beds. So the it's not sand. Everyone tries to call it sand, but it's more like a talcum powder. Um, it just, it's like a dust. And at times I have passed through there, especially later in the summer when more vehicles have driven it and there's not as much rain uh, you'll see you know that it'll just cover your the bottom part of your wheel you know that you'll have you'll just be going through and the, the playa dust will just kind of cover the bottom part of your wheel and you go to step off the bike and your foot you know you're up to your ankle in this stuff so it can be a it can be a little much Looks like they did have some good rain here, mm -hmm. doesn't it? So, uh, what if you go one bike only on the Pony Express? What's the ideal setup? I've found that I really, really like my Lauf on my cutthroat. Lauf fork on a cutthroat. Yeah. It, Really just a, a tour divide style bike. Okay. Yeah. Full or a, a, a front fork, front suspension fork would not be overkill at all. Okay. If I wanted to get a little more rowdy on some of the downhills, then I would definitely go with a full suspension fork. Or say, a, they, a, uh, so they've got regular suspension. They've fork. got a suspension fork and suspension corrected Fargo now, right? Am I remembering that correctly or incorrectly? Possibly. I think so. Maybe something like that. Uh, okay. Um, so, uh, what was that? 2.3 you were running? 27.5 plus, uh, plus on a cutthroat? Can you do that? Mm, not on the current one. Okay. At least. Um, yeah, I ran I ran a 2.1. 2.1? Was, mm -hmm. was that enough tire most of the time? Most of the time it was enough tire. Yeah, there's, there's quite a bit. There's not, to me, one perfect bike for the whole thing. There's no one perfect bike for anything. Anything, right? Um, and that's what the bike manufacturers count on. Mm-hmm. And that's why people with our sickness do keep <laughs> them in business. Yes, I have a garage full of bikes. Absolutely. And I want more. Almost 
done. What are you I'm thinking for the uh, going to California route? Um, yeah, a drop bar mountain bike setup is probably the best from what I've come across so far. Um, Hard to. Yes, yes. Uh, yeah, very definitely. Um, I think, uh, I mean, you could, the stuff I've been on so far, I mean, you could, you could get by on a traditional gravel ru gravel bike, you know, with 40 to 45 millimeter tires. Um, you'd be okay on it. Um, I would, again, lean towards uh, probably 2.1, 2.3 drop bar setup and yes um, uh, a loft fork or some other uh, some sort of other gravel suspension would be appropriate for it I don't think mountain bike suspension of any of the stuff I've come across so far on that one doesn't mean that can't change though um, I'm sure that there's people that could ride that will hopefully ride the Pony Express on a rigid bike. Oh, I'm sure they will. I think it'd be fine. It's just and it's, it's gonna it, beat you up a bit. It's 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 more. It's not. I mean, it's like it's like anything else. Well, I'm sure people could do it single speed. You know, yeah. is that appropriate for most people? They're gonna attempt it. Yeah. Probably not. Right. Um. Fixed gear. Yeah. Awesome. That might be pushing it. The um, the problem with In the going to California route great. though is. It's gonna, you know, the stuff that I don't know about yet could be could really catch me off guard. Mm -hmm. uh, so we 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 had it mapped uh, from on to FM that mapped and verified from Texarkana, Arkansas, all the way across Texas to San Juan, New Mexico, up to Trinidad, Colorado. The southern part of Trinidad, Colorado, basically into northeastern In Arizona, catching the corner of Utah straight. as well. That's all verified. That's all I've, I've been on all of it except for one mountain pass that I haven't been on yet. But that short section I missed was maybe four miles, if that. So worst case scenario is it's a four-mile hike a bike over you know that 1,200 miles I've mapped out so mm -hmm. far. Um, all of that I know, and it could, all that could be done on, like I said, the, that bike I laid out. The caveat will be um, further into Arizona, back again to that north side of the Grand Canyon. Uh, that's great unknown to me. They show as they show as dirt roads on the maps, and the air, the aerial views look promising. Uh, but aerial views can be deceptive, particularly in terrain you're not familiar with. Yeah. Um, uh, there's some Alabama and Mississippi stuff that I think could be more mountain bike type dirt roads than gravel bike type dirt roads but until I actually get on them and see I won't know for certain and hopefully we'll see those 
see some of that in this trip we're doing at the end of the month. Going to try to get at least Florida and Georgia knocked out and uh, touch base in Alabama and Mississippi then. Nice. That's the plan. Then I got to figure out when the best time is to hit that north side of the Grand Canyon because that that weather there confuses the hell out of me. In um, a quarter mile, continue straight. I'm gonna bank on it just not being accessible probably until. Continue on to Moore Road. Well into spring. Not that it wouldn't be accessible at times before then, but actually having to lay out my travel time and trip to coincide with, hey, it's open these three days, but then the next snow comes in. That's kind of what we got caught up in last year, trying to figure out Colorado stuff. Yeah. Um, and the snow last year was unreal. And they've, al they've already started off in a less than ideal way this year. So, so this year in a month. I'm very glad that uh, we got, I mean, I've been over backwards to, hey, I've got, I've got a week here where I can squeeze in a trip. I'm gonna, when was that? I don't know, end of September? I can't remember. Anyway, when I went out to Colorado, I was like, I gotta, I gotta get this in. And I'm glad I did, because like three weeks later, the snows came in. I had to done that now. I'd be waiting till the middle of summer for it. I'm hoping to have the goal is to have the route completely verified by Labor Day of 2020. That's, I'd love to have it done sooner, but I'm buying myself some wiggle, wiggle time in there. Yeah. Um, so is your goal just to put the route out there for people? Are you going to do an event on it? Or? The, the goal is just to have the route out there, a cross-country gravel grinding and then if theoretically speaking if we have it out by Labor Day that allows time uh, for somebody to actually start in Florida on the going to California route and roll into Texarkana about the same time uh, as we're starting the RAD uh, join up with them for a little bit uh, I don't know that anyone would do that but we'd like to have that flexibility be available then um, and also the, as far as getting things scouted out the schedules meant to allow enough time that like you know, for example I keep alluding to this north side of the Grand Canyon part of the route if that ends up being a complete bust then I'm going to have to completely reroute that and have mm -hmm. it go out there on another trip and scout what I what I what I map again Then from Zion to the California coast, I think I can, I should be able to check out most of that just about any time of the year. So uh, that's not as weather sensitive. So it's just when, whenever I have the time to go out west to do that, uh, and likely I'll do that. During the summer, the plan to be based out of Colorado all summer long, but that'll I'll be close enough that I can mm -hmm. I can take three days and go to California. Hours 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So are you going to go north of Vegas or south of Vegas? We're going to come down from north of Vegas and then go south of Vegas. Okay. So basically we're going to come down from Zion, weave our way across through that Hoover Dam area and then come out south and then uh, the idea is to go through the Mojave from Las Vegas and into the Joshua Tree area and then wind up towards uh, San, San Bernardino Mountains I think okay. and wind our way to the coast from there. That's kind of the idea and utilizing the LA River and the LA River trails to actually get through Los Angeles. Yeah, that's that's what I did for Sacramento. It's, it's like 40 miles of trails. Yeah, people don't understand. <laughs> How are you gonna get across LA? Well, <laughs> there's, there's, it's actually quite easy. The American River <laughs> is why Sacramento is there and they have basically turned the banks of the American River through Sacramento into one giant park. Yeah. And it's just a trail all the way from the suburbs down straight to downtown Sacramento. California's figured it out. <laughs> At least on that front. On that on that front. <laughs> on that front. Um, I think I think there's actually I think there's a lot of areas that are starting to figure those things out. Now I actually I think Texas is I wouldn't call it at the forefront, but uh, they have a better appreciation for some of those types of infrastructure than they did 15 years ago. Yeah, so now that the SOPAC trail north of White Rock is completed, actually the other day I mapped out a route, just kind of wanted to see what I could make happen, and I was able to do 70 miles in inner city on mostly trails yep. not having to deal with cars not having yep. to deal with stops and everything and it was awesome and it what was nice about it is hey, i want some coffee right now i just yep exit the trail That's... and go get some coffee hey look there's some tacos let's go have some tacos <laughs> yeah see no you're gonna have to give up that stuff when you're on your 80 acres in new mexico though yep. you have to make your own tacos and make your own coffee we've been we've been working on that i understand i get it but I mean, well, and that's, I mean, that's, talk about going full circle. I mean, that's my passion project that drives me crazy on all extremes. Um, that's why I've still got Northeast Texas trail stuff. Just, I, I know we're far away from that being a continuous thing and be anywhere near its ultimate potential. Um, but the potential is just so amazing Absolutely. for what's out there. Um, it's it's going to be something fairly soon. Um, uh, it, it's going to be one of those things when it hits its critical mass, it's, it's just going to go through the roof. People, people don't have a clue of what it's going to be when it gets there. I think it's a great use of oil beds. I, w I wish I wish we could just take all of the rail beds in the country and do that. Turn them into trails. Yes, yeah, it's really. Well, a lot of Europe, you you can walk Europe, you can ride your bike on trails all the way through Europe, and they're those kind of 
yeah yeah <laughs> and I think uh, I think that's a pretty good place to wrap things up because uh, we're gonna go out and figure out ways to ride our bike as far as we can in as many different places as we can and hopefully y'all will tag along Jan thank yeah. you so much for joining us absolutely thanks and for having me good luck with your move <laughs>